So when you leave, I want you to be encouraged today because I believe these are very challenging scriptures, but more importantly, these are encouraging scriptures um, for us to look at. So James chapter 1, we're gonna, again, we're going to cover verses 2 through 12. The first thing he's going to tell us here, right out the gates, is James is going to tell us to count it all joy. He says this in verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The idea of what he means by count there is to evaluate. Evaluate, evaluate the way you look at things. All right, so the very first thing he's telling these people, remember, these are people that are basically running for their lives for the sake of the gospel. They're facing extreme persecution. And here's what he's telling them. He's like, I want you to look at what you're facing. I want you to look at what you're up against. And I want you to evaluate what's happening. I want you to look at it. And ultimately, I want you to look at it from God's perspective and figure out what's happening in your life and how God's working within this. He says various because it's a, it covers all types of things. How many of you have suffered uh, or gone through a trial just this week or just this month or just this year? You're like, well, maybe right now you're not going through something, but guess what? More than likely you are here pretty soon. You're going to be going through some sort of trial. Trials are things that happen to every one of us, and they come in various types of forms, and we're not necessarily always ready for those things. So he says, evaluate, know that they're going to come in various types of forms. And the word trial here means to test the challenge, the believer's faith. So these trials that are happening in our lives, James is telling us here, they're coming in various types of forms, in various ways. And here's the purpose of those things, is they're really testing the genuineness of your faith. They're seeing if you are who you say you are. When things are happening, when things aren't necessarily good, when things are bad, when there's a trial coming and you're suffering, you really start to see what people actually believe, right? It's easy to believe these things about God when things are good, but it's a little more difficult to believe some of the things about God and hold on to some of the promises of God when we're going through a trial. And ultimately what James is telling these folks is I want you to get to this point that when you're going through these trials, when you're going through this moment of suffering, that you're able to count it all joy. You're able to see God within this. You're able to see what God's up to, what God is doing, and how God is working in all of this. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's like, don't, don't be surprised. I'm telling you right out from the, get, from the gate here, trials are going to happen. Do not be surprised. None of us should leave here today and be surprised that a trial comes. This week or next week or this year. None of us should be surprised because the scripture is telling us that. But he says in verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. James and Peter are basically telling us the same thing. Guess what, guys? You're going to suffer. There's going to be trials in your life. It's going to happen to every single one of you. But here's what I want you to do within that trial. I want you to be a joyful person. I want you to count all of those things that you're going through in life as joy. I want you to seek Christ within all of that. I want you to understand that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. James isn't necessarily telling us to rejoice because of the pain or because of the loss that we are facing. I don't think he's telling us that at all. But what he is telling us is that we can rejoice because we know God is present and working within those things. That's what he's telling us to do. When he says the count it all joy, I don't think he's necessarily saying, you know what, this bad thing has happened in my life, God, thank you for it. But what I think he does mean by the count it all joy is, God, I don't necessarily understand it, but I know that you're in it, and I know that you're working in it, and I know that you have a purpose for it. 
I know that you have a plan for it. And I know that what may someone or this world may meant for evil or bad in my life, that God, you're going to turn around and use it for my good. That's what he's talking about when he means to count it all joy in our lives. Trials are going to happen, all right? Trials are going to happen, but God is in the midst of those things. He never leaves us or forsakes us within that. This isn't our natural response, though, is it? It isn't a natural response to count it all joy. And so how do we get to that response? The first thing we have to know is that these trials are meant to make us mature. And mature, what I mean by that is like Christ. So when you hear the word mature, it's basically saying that God is trying to make you like Jesus. So ultimately, the things that are happening, these trials that I'm going through, the ultimate purpose within all of those things is that God's trying to make me look like his son, Jesus. He's trying to make me more Christ-like. It says this in James chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea of steadfastness there, some of your translations probably say endurance or perseverance is what he's talking about. Testing is there for us to see if we are who we actually say we are. He says, so don't be surprised when those things happen, and here's why they're happening is that ultimately God is working within those for the purpose of making you perfect and complete. God didn't just save us so that we can go to eternity with him. God saved us because there's so much work still here to do on earth. And part of that work that God's doing within us is that he's molding us into the image of his son. And one of the best ways for him to do that is to allow trials to happen in our lives. Think about it, because if life was always good, how many of us would confess that we need God? None of us would. We'd probably all be living our lives doing exactly whatever it is we wanted to, because life is good, my family's good, my job's good, school's good, everything's perfect, why would I even think that I need a God? Anyone ever met someone like that who think they don't need God because everything is going really good in their lives? And there's, in our lives, when do we usually seek God the most? When, when bad things happen, right? When everything falls apart, when trials happen in our lives. Think about it as well. As a nation, when do we usually, as a nation, seek God the most? Catastrophes, right? When bad things happen in our lives. And for us as believers, the assurance that we can have within all of this is that we serve the God who wasn't surprised by any of that, Not only that, that he can take the things that we are going through and use them to mold us more into the image of his son. So he says, count it all joy when these trials come, because here's what you know, is that God is working. When these trials happen, when bad things take place, when suffering takes place in our lives, we can count it all joy because we know our God is working. And the reason why God is working it is that he is making us perfect and complete so that we will be lacking in nothing so that we will look more like Jesus in this world. And here's why I can say that with 100% assurance. Think about the three years that Jesus spent in in earthly ministry. How was it? Tough. Going from place to place, serving different people, rejected from certain villages or towns, didn't necessarily know where some of the next things were going to be coming. And at the end of his life, right, He lays down his life for people. And where were his closest friends? Nowhere to be found, right? 
Not only that, they were like, no, no, we don't even know this guy. So part of our Christ-likeness is suffering as well, right? So uh, the good parts about Jesus, we, we can sign on board with those, right? Because I can think of all the good stuff that, that is in the New Testament, and I can sign up for that. I, I'm all on board with that. But part of being like Christ is allowing ourselves to suffer like Christ. That's what Peter says. He says, count it all joy that you get to suffer like Jesus. I get to suffer like Christ. Remember in the book of Acts, when Peter and James and these guys, they would stand before the council and they would share the gospel. What did they leave just having been beaten half to death for the sake of the gospel? And what did they do? They rejoiced. Why did they rejoice? Because they got to suffer for the name of Jesus. Because what did they understand? The, the more that I realize how much I need Jesus, the more I start to look like Jesus in my life. And one of the ways in which God speaks and one of the ways in which God moves is through trials that take place in our lives. Now, I know that if we were mapping out a plan for our lives, we would jump right over every single trial that we face. This wouldn't be a part of the way that I'm going to look more like Christ. There there would be different ways in which we would do it. But this is God's plan, is that he can take things that don't necessarily look like good in our world He can take trials, and he can take suffering, and he can use them to make us look more like Jesus. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What did Peter say? So you want to know who are the real believers. You want to know who are real Christ followers. It's going to be evident to us when things are bad. When things aren't necessarily good in their lives, you're going to see who really practices what they preach. Now, I know for some of you, I've seen it in your lives. I've seen people handle the same situation two completely different ways. Someone suffered the same obstacle that someone else has suffered, and they've allowed it to almost completely destroy them. When someone else has looked at it and rejoiced and found hope and found peace, and not only that, shared that hope and that peace with people that are going through some of the same things, or maybe even worse things, or maybe even less things. Two people handling the same situation completely different. And what's evident to us? how God's working within those things. So how do trials specifically make us mature? How do trials make us mature? We must realize that a lot of times what happens is out of our control, but what we can do and what we can control is how we react to it. I can't necessarily control a lot of trials that take place in my lives. I can't necessarily control a lot of the suffering that takes place in my life. But what can I control? How I react to those things that take place in my life. So how does God use trials to make us mature? The first thing is trials can make us more like Christ. I went back and forth probably five or six times on the language of this point, And at the very end of it, I got to the point where I put in can. Because trials won't do this unless you allow them to do this. God won't do this unless you allow him to do this. 
So these are optional things for you. Hopefully you're going to allow all these things to happen in your lives and you're going to allow these trials to do this. But trials can make us more like Jesus. And I think that's the very goal within all of those things. Trials can make us more like Jesus. Secondly, trials can move our dependence from self to Jesus. When we realize the thing that I'm going through, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot overcome this on my own. I need Jesus within this. It moves from us being able to handle it ourselves to realizing that I can't do this without Jesus, and it puts complete dependence upon him. And guess what happens when I put my complete dependence upon him is he shows up and he works. Timothy Keller said this. He says, suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. Suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. I read that line. It stood out to me, underlined it, highlighted it. Because it stood out to me because it's kind of contrary, I think, to what we think a lot of times. But one of the main ways in which God works is through our trials and the suffering that takes place in our lives. It makes us face the fact that I cannot do this on my own. I am completely dependent upon someone else, and his name is Jesus. Everything else in this life is going to fail us at one time or another. I'm going to fail myself. We're going to fail each other. Our jobs are going to fail us. School is going to fail us. All of the rest of those things are going to fail us at some time in our lives, but only Jesus is the one that will never fail us. And so why would our dependence, as we go through trials and as we go through suffering, why would our dependence not 100% be upon him as the one that can overcome all of those things and use those things to make me look more like Jesus? Thirdly is that trials can help us place our hope in Jesus. Guess what? The only hope any of us have in this world is Jesus. The only hope that any of us have in this world is Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who who has been given to us. You see what he says there? When our hope is in Jesus, none of us will ever be put to shame, because he will show up and he will work Every single time. Do you see kind of some of these scriptures we're reading, the common thread going throughout the New Testament? What are these guys telling everyone they're writing to? You're going to have trials. You're going to suffer. You're going to have trials. You're going to suffer. It's going to happen. You can't avoid it. Stop trying to avoid it. But instead, when it happens, be prepared. Be prepared when these things take place in your life and know that God is working within those things to make you more like His Son, Jesus. Be prepared for those things. I've used this analogy before or illustration is that I love watching football. I think it's one of the greatest things in the entire world is to watch football. It was a football game last night. All right? It was one of the ugliest football games I've ever seen in my entire life. But it was football. Right? But the thing that I've always thought about in life when it comes to football is imagine, let's imagine the team gets off the bus and the entire week they haven't done anything. 
They haven't necessarily practiced. They didn't have a game plan in place. And so when the other team lines up across from them, what happens? They smash them right in the mouth. And who's going to win that game? Not the Gamecocks, I promise you. <laughs> you talk about trials, all right? Be a Gamecock fan. That is, that is a trial, right? But the other team who spent the time preparing and getting ready, they're going to be the ones that win the game. And it's the same thing for us. As Christians, we can be prepared. We can be ready for these trials that are going to take place in our lives. Right? We can be studied up. We can have spent the week getting ready for what's going to take place. Because I don't necessarily know what's going to happen next week, but there's a good chance something bad's going to happen. And I've spent my time getting ready for it. I've been in the Word. I've been on my knees before God, and I'm praying. And so when it happens, I'm not surprised by it because Scripture's told me it's going to happen, and I'm not surprised that when it does happen that I can rejoice and count it all joy because I've spent my time preparing. But more importantly, what I've spent my time doing is spending time with Jesus. And as I spend more time with Jesus, he works and he shows me all the things that I need to be able to do in life. And I need more of Jesus. So, I've said this isn't a natural thing. All these things that we've talked about so far is not natural. Our our flesh, when trials happen, what do they usually tell us to do? Fix it. Run or run from it. As a a man, like, I I try to fix things that happen. And especially when it comes to the one area, finances, right? If if there's a financial thing that's going on in my life, my my tendency is, I've got to fix it. I've got to do something. We've got to take care of this. And this is one of the things that that Sarah and I have, have worked on, and Sarah has been a great blessing helping me with, is because when she cut back certain days at work, the first thing out of my mouth is, how are we going to afford that? How are we going to do this financially? How are we going to be able to do some of these things? And so my, my tendency is, I'm going to go fix it instead of praying about it and allowing God to work within this. It's like, listen, if God, God, guys, if this is something that I've put on your heart and I've put on the heart of your family, why would you not believe that I've already got a plan in place and I'm going to take care of it? I haven't abandoned you within all of this. This is something that is important to you as a family. Then why in the world would you think I'd just kind of kick you guys out and go, well, you take care of it yourself? That's not God. That's not our God. And it's not the God that we should believe in. It's definitely not the God that I should believe in as I stand before you guys. So I know this isn't a natural thing to do because we try to fix stuff and we want to do it on our own. So how, how do we overcome this? This tendency to do it on our, on our own or by the flesh. James is going to tell us a secret here. Verses 5 through 11 of James chapter 1. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That seems really easy, right? Then why would I not do that? If you ask yourself that, if you read that scripture, it's like, if you lack wisdom... Because this isn't natural for you. If you lack wisdom, if you don't know how to do it, you're like, I have no idea how to overcome this trial. I don't know where you're at within all of this, God. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how my family's going to make it. I don't see you working at all. What does James tell us? All you got to do is ask God. 
God, show me. God, reveal to me. God, work in me. God, I trust in you that you're doing something within this. He says, if you lack the wisdom to be able to be this type of person, to be able to count it all joy, ask God to help you. So it would look like this. God, I'm, I'm, I'm in a trial and I'm having a hard time counting it all joy. Will you help me? Will you help me count this all joy? Will you help me to see you within all of this? Would you help me to know that you are working? Will you help me to know that you are moving? Will you help me to know that you are good? And what does James tell us? It'll be given. It'll be given. Verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Here's the hang-up, really, is what he's telling us now. It says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does is, what is James tell us there? It's like, here's the, here's the secret. If you'll just ask God, God will show up. But have you ever asked God for something, and in the back of your mind, like, I don't think he's going to do it. Or you've asked God for something. You've asked God for this wisdom. You've asked God for this um, ability to, to take care of this and to know that God's going to do it. But in the back of your mind, you have a plan B already made up. That, well, if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't reveal this to me, when I want him to reveal this to me, then I have a plan B and I'm going to take care of this on my own. And James says this is where a lot of us get messed up within this is that we're asking for something, but our hearts aren't truly in it. Is we're asking God to do something, but we've already got a, another plan in our mind. For instance, for, for myself, if I, if, what I just described to you for our family, like what, I, what the wrong way to handle it would be would be, God, I trust in you that you're going to do something. I'm trusting in your timing. I'm leaning on you to know that you're going to work and do something. The wrong plan for me would be as I'm praying to think, I got this money here and this money here and this money here. I can move it here if I need to move it here. I can do this with this money in this, this area. I can do this. Maybe I can go do this. Maybe we can pick up another something here. You see what we do? Is that faith in God? Oh, who's our faith in? Ourselves. Well, I, I can do this or I can do that. And, and, and James is like, guess what? You guys wonder why you don't get that wisdom that you're asking for. Or you wonder why you don't necessarily see God within this because you've acted like you're God within this. And God wasn't working or you didn't see God working within it because you were the one working. I think it's almost like one or two things is going to happen. Either we're going to allow God to work within this or we're going to be the ones working and we're going to be the ones doing it. Sometimes we get in the way of God because we try to figure it out before we allow God to do anything within it. And James calls that man a double-minded man. And what he means by a double-minded man is this, is that you are focused on the world and yourself, but at the same time, you are focused on God. And what kind of man is that? He says he is unstable in all his ways. He is unstable in all his ways. So what's our one source for stability? What's our one source for hope? What's our one source for joy within all of the things that we're facing that James is telling us? His name's Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. That's it. So, so maybe for, for some of us, maybe you're here today and it's like, I'm struggling with this. Maybe what you need to do is you need to get out of your own way. 
And you need to allow God to show up. And you need to allow God to work within this. Don't doubt that God's good. Don't doubt that God has a plan within this. Don't doubt that God is working within all of this. He goes on in verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So there's a couple things there. First thing he's telling us is that whether you're poor or you're rich, guess what? You're going to have trials and you're going to suffer. It's a great equalizer between all of us. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. You're going to have trials and you're going to suffer. But he has a warning there to the rich. He has a warning to myself with some of the things I've told you. Don't put your hope in what? Material things. Don't put your hope in those things. What's going to happen to all of that stuff? It's going to wither away, but what's going to remain? Jesus, right? Again, as we've read these scriptures, these apply to us, but the reason why I spent time last week telling you who he's writing to, because think about you're in this church, you're in, you're in this group of people, and you're suffering persecution. You're running for your lives. And James writes this letter to you. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials. Count it all joy. Because here's what God's doing within this. Right now, here's what God's doing. He's using these things. He's taking these things that people meant for evil, and he's using them for your good, and he's molding you more into the image of his son, Jesus. And he said, here's the good news. I know that's hard to hear. I know that's tough. You may be like, guess what? I'm not there yet. Well, here's the solution. If you're not there yet, what should you do? Ask God to get you there. So who is, who is all of this kind of banking on? Us being willing to allow Jesus to be Jesus. That's all it is at the very end of the day. I think that's, it's just as simple as that. Are we going to allow Jesus to be Jesus? Or are we going to continue to try to be God in our own lives? The idea of this wisdom here is that James is talking about is this wisdom is the ability to view life from God's perspective. So when I ask for this wisdom, here's what I'm doing, is I'm asking God, would you help me to see this the way you see it? Would you help me to see this trial, this moment of suffering the way that you see it? Would you help me to see this world that we live in the way you see it? Would you help me to see the people that are around me that are going through trials and are suffering? Would you help me to see them the way that you see them? It's a removal of ourselves and filling ourselves with Jesus is what it is. And trials are one of the best ways for that to take place. So how do I count it all joy? How do I be encouraged by this? Because I've read this passage a bunch of times this week, and I've been encouraged by it. Because I know that when things are happening, God is working. I know that, guess what, when things are good, God's working. When things are bad, God's working. When things are kind of neutral in my life, God's working. So what's happening? God's always working. God isn't surprised. God isn't asleep. All right? He's not just kind of letting people down here roam about and do, and he's just up there just taking a nap. No. God is working in you. 
And he's taking these trials and he's using them for his glory and for his honor through what he's doing in your life. I read this quote this week by a guy named Paul David Tripp. He said this, here's the suffering paradox. The very things we would do anything to avoid, the very things that confront our understanding of who we are, and the very things that cause us the most pain become the very things that usher into our lives the blessings of the help, hope, peace, and rest that we all long to experience. The very things that we try to avoid most in our lives can be the very things that help mold us more into the image of Jesus. The last thing James is going to say here is in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who live, to those who love him. What does he tell these, this church, this, these group of people? One day, we're going to stand before Jesus, and this is all going to be worth it. All the, all the trials, all the suffering, all the things that have taken place in my life, all the, the unknowns that are going on in this world, it's going to all be worth it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One day, this is all going to make a little bit more sense. I don't know if this is, has been helpful for you. I pray that it has been. I pray that it's been an encouragement to you. Maybe you've, you've left or you've heard this and you've got more questions than when you came in with. Good. Let's talk about those questions. Let's go through those questions together. Let's try to figure a lot of this out. But let's make sure we stick to the scriptures when it comes to this. Know that God is working, that God is moving, and God can use your trials. Just because you've had a bad day doesn't mean God's abandoned you. I think on the contrary, God's working. And God's more present than he's ever been in your life. God loves you so much. And he can use all of these things for your good to make you more into the image of his son Jesus. So maybe there's, there's something you're going through now. Maybe there's a trial that you need God to help you with. You need God to give you the wisdom that we've talked about and God to give you the understanding that we've discussed this morning. Maybe there's something. Maybe you know someone that you need to be praying for that God would help them through this trial. All of us need to look more like Jesus. And trials are one of the ways in which Jesus works and moves in those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for these scriptures that we've been able to look at and talk about. I pray that you've been honored by them. God, I pray that we'd serve you well. I know that trials aren't, aren't necessarily always fun things to go through and, and suffering stinks at times, to be honest. But we know that you're good. And we know that you're working within those things. And we know that you are using those things to make us more like you, Jesus. God, I pray that all of us here would be able to count it all joy when we suffer trials of various kinds. That as we go through life, we'd be joyful people. Joy is, is not something that can be taken away because our hope is in you, Jesus. I pray that for every person because trials will come, suffering will happen, 
but you are at work within those things. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.